eternity. Amen. Now, amen. Thank you. Now, well, first, I'll say this in light of that. Amens are okay, whether they be from the, 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 the toddlers or the adults. Uh, any To declare amen is to declare your, uh, that you agree with what is being said. And so as we seek to understand what it means to be resurrected in Christ, we'll have plenty to say amen about this morning. And so there, there are three things that come out of this answer that are certain for all people. And they are death, judgment, and eternity. Unavoidable for all people. Um, and the, the, the thing that I was asking myself as I was thinking through those three things, I was, I was asking myself, why are these three things certain for all people? Death, judgment, and eternity. And my mind first went to sin, and if your mind goes there too, that's partial. you get partial credit. Um, but I think if you dig a little bit deeper and you push a little bit further down, and really this is sort of the Sunday school answer for all questions any preacher or teacher could ask, what is the reason, the certainty, or the reason for our certainty of death, judgment, and eternity? And you want to really get to the, the large reality of it. It is the existence of God. The very existence of God are, is the certainty for our death, the judgment we will stand before, and then the fate of our eternity. The same thing is true for sin. Sin makes no sense and has no existence apart from the existence of of God, of Yahweh. Now, I make that distinction by saying his name Yahweh because I want to distinguish between the generic higher powers, us, we as people in this world who try to shy away from the God of the Bible by you know, acknowledging him as a cre- just a generic creator, the big guy upstairs, whatever the case may be. Yahweh is is who God is as revealed in the scriptures. He created all things. He sustains all things. He is the three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yahweh is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jesus, Peter, and Paul. That's who we're talking about. And it's because of his existence, you and I can be certain of these three things when we rise out of bed in the morning tomorrow. Lord willing, we do. You can be sure of death, judgment, and eternity. Now, while we can be certain about all three of those things, we might all have different thoughts or emotional responses regarding those three things, which is understandable. Um, If you have no thought or emotion or response... When you consider death, judgment, or eternity, I I want you to seriously take those things into account. Uh, But the the general relationship that man has with death, judgment, and eternity uh, typically is fear. Fear death, fear judgment, and ultimately 
that which will happen after death and judgment, their eternal state. Now, why is that? Well, again, we go back to the existence of God. Of course, we're going to fear death because of the existence of God. But then we get that other answer because of the sinfulness of man. Um, Why do men fear death, judgment, and eternity because of God and their sin? Well, it's because death and judgment are God's response to man's sinfulness. Um, There are three verses that I found to help us understand why we should fear or why man should fear. When I say man, I mean man in in general. I'm not speaking to us as the church. Three verses very quickly in each category. Death, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And guess what? You've worked a lot. Mankind has worked a lot to earn its wages. Uh, as uh, Regarding judgment, Romans 2 says, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And in the way of eternity, 2 Thessalonians 1 says, And they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. All those three realities, all those three verses should make a man tremble. But there's an interesting thing about Christians. They should not fear. They should fear God, but not death, not judgment, not eternity. Uh, In two different places, at least, Paul makes mention that Christians need not fear. No, they they should not fear. He even says that they've not been given a spirit of fear, as he would tell Timothy. He tells the Romans, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Why, why can Christians not live in fear of death, judgment, and eternity? Even considering we face those things. It's not that we avoid those things, death, judgment, and eternity. So then why would we not fear them? Well, it is ultimately our union with a resurrected Savior, our connection to him. And in that connection, you've been given, as our catechism question says, benefits that take place at the resurrection. Um, So those three areas sort of get flipped upside down. Death is defeated as your body, and we'll look at these three a little bit closer as we go along. Death is defeated as your body is literally raised from the grave. Not just raised from the grave, but raised in glory. Number two, judgment. At the judgment, you are openly and finally acquitted. Declared innocent of all sin. And number three, for all eternity, you will fully experience and enjoy God, not just spiritually, but also physically. As your body and soul are are reunited at the resurrection. So there's one thing that 
We're going to spend the first part of this sermon discussing, and then the last half of the sermon we'll look back closer at those three things. But here's what we have to understand. The, the, the question in itself makes one distinction that we cannot pass over. What benefits do, do believers receive from Christ? That's the, the distinction we have to settle in here for just a moment. That it's, it's, it's benefits we receive from Christ Benefits flow from Christ to those who believe in Christ. We saw that in John 11 when Jesus speaks to Martha about uh, him being the resurrection and the life. There's no hope. See, that for, for an unbeliever, death, judgment, and eternity is hopeless. It's a hopeless pool. There's no hope for man outside of Christ. There's no comfort in your works, in your gods, in your religions. Only in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is like, so I'm going to use this phrase, in Christ. So, because that's, that's how we enjoy the benefits of resurrection, is that we're found in Christ. And if you go throughout the New Testament epistles, especially Paul's epistles, you continue continue to see that phrase in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. So if you kind of, it's kind of a, it's kind of a abstract term. Uh, it's a preposition, and then Jesus. So how can you think about being in Christ and having the benefits of being in Christ? Well, I just want you to picture Moses and God on the mountain. That's that that's the that's the image I want you to get when you think about being in Christ. Cuz God and Moses are on the mountain and Moses says, "I want to see your glory." And God says, "You can't." He says, "If you see me, if man sees me face to face, if you see me in all my glory, I will it will annihilate you." Okay? But he says, "You know what I'll do though?" I'm gonna I'm gonna hide you. I'm gonna put you in this cleft of this rock, this cutout in this rock, and so I'm gonna pass over you with my glory. And this this is gonna protect you and and guard you from the destruction of my awfulness. And I say awful in the sense of all full, full of all. Christ is the rock that has been cut. That we are placed in. So when we see God face to face at the resurrection, we have the benefits of being in Christ. That is the image that you should think about when we uh, hear the phrase, in Christ. God puts us in Christ to protect us from his awful glory. We must be found in Christ if we are to see God. Now, it makes you think of John 14 a little differently. When Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life, no man can come to the Father except by me. If you are not, if you, you the, here's the thing about the resurrection. All people will come before God face to face. And it is only those who find their way to God through the Son that will find themselves and the benefits of, rec of the resurrection. Hope, uh, no, no longer hope, but joy and peace and fully experiencing God. Now again, 
We might hear the phrase being tossed around to be united in Christ, to be in union with Christ. It means to be in Christ. And when one is united to Jesus, when one is in Christ, he enjoys all that Jesus enjoys. The Father's love, the inheritance of a son, the righteousness of Christ, the forgiveness of his sacrificial death, and the power of his resurrection. How, so then, we, we must make this claim, we must understand this. How is one united in Christ? How is one brought into Christ and to receive the benefits of the resurrection? Well, what did he tell Martha? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me. That's it. That's it. That's it. Whoever believes in me. But here's what I want to do. I want to challenge our understanding of what it means to believe in Jesus. What it tends to get portrayed as believing in Jesus, and typically for in good intentions, but it's become this sort of Santa Claus-like belief. Okay? Whereas... As long as I'm willing to acknowledge something that I can't physically see, I will then reap the benefits of that which I physically can't see. It's a lot like Santa Claus, right? Now, there's some truth in the reality that we cannot see Jesus, and yet we still must believe in him. And we'll look at Thomas and his interaction with Jesus later. But that's basically... What Christian, Christian, Christian faith has become. Believing in something you can't see. I googled um, believing is seen to see how many sermons popped up. It's, it's countless. It was countless. And then um, if, if you've been in the men's meeting or the women's fellowship, you've, or maybe you've read it, Seeing and Savoring Jesus by John Piper. Well, as I was scrolling through Google... Scene or believing a scene, believing a scene, believing a scene, and then there was one that caught my eye. Scene is believing, and guess who preached that sermon? John Piper. And so here, here, here's here's a couple things I want us to to think about when we think about what it means to believe in Christ. Number one. The belief Jesus speaks of, speaks of to Martha and all throughout, you see it in John, is more than this intellectual knowledge or intellectual acknowledgement of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Of course, it is that, but it's more than that. Take, take the example of a frightened child um, who is in a situation where they seek or need the help of a parent or an adult. And the parent who desires to help that child get through whatever that situation is, what what might the parent say to that child as they approach them to help them? And they say, okay, I know you're scared, but here's what I need you to do. I'm going to help you, but I need you to believe in me. Now, the parent is physically in front of that child. And so the belief that the parent is calling for the child to to practice 
isn't this acknowledgement that they exist, they're there, and they can help. No, the, the parent is there physically, and, and the parent is calling the child to believe that the parent will do whatever it takes to protect the child, to help the child. The parent has the answer to get them through the situation or the danger or the concern. And in that belief and in that trust, the child will obey anything the parent says because the child believes, knows, and trusts that the parent will help them through the situation. That's the, that's the belief that Jesus is referring to. Not an act, not an, uh, an intellectual acknowledgement of, oh yeah, Jesus, there was a man named Jesus. He was the Son of God, and he did some things. He died on a cross. I believe that, so that, that is my belief. It doesn't work. It, it doesn't work that way, especially when you consider Thomas. Thomas was looking Jesus in the face, and Jesus had to call him to do what? To believe. And when Thomas believed, what did he say? He said, my Lord and my God. He didn't say, oh, Jesus, I believe you existed and that you died on the cross and you rose from the dead. No, his acknowledgement, the manifestation of Thomas's faith, his belief came out in those few words. My Lord and my God. And what does that say about his belief? Number one, that Jesus is his supreme authority, his king, his master. If he says it, I will do it, is what Thomas was saying. And number two, my Lord and my God, I exist, I was created by you, for you, and through you. Thomas's belief was acknowledging and surrendering, submitting to Jesus Christ as Lord and God. That is the belief that Jesus calls, uh, calls for in the Gospels. This is the belief that unites us to Christ, which gives us the benefits that we receive in Him at the resurrection. Now, the second thing about this belief, and I kind of spoke about it just a second ago, is biblical believing is and not seeing. I mean, I'm sorry. It's not believe to see, but yet the scriptures is very clear. It's see and believe. Becoming a Christian isn't a blind leap of faith. I want to say that again, and I want you to scratch that phrase from your mind and in your vocabulary. Becoming a Christian or being a Christian is not a blind leap of faith. You understand? Um, becoming a Christian, being a Christian, is being given eyes to see ears to hear, a mind to understand, and a heart to love. It is the work of the Spirit of God to give you that very thing. It is the new birth. Those in unbelief, they cannot see. The Scriptures say the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever and keeps them from seeing the light. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read, I read that too fast. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. They can't see. 
and keeps them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So if they so then the idea that if you will just believe you that's seeing. No, they cannot see. The unbeliever cannot see. But he finishes the passage. But he, God, through the proclamation of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, he has shown like a light shines in the darkness. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel. To take to turn darkness into light, blind into seeing, deaf into hearing, hard, cold hearted into loving Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. And again, these These glorious benefits that we receive in Christ at the resurrection only come through this belief. And I pray that you consider that this morning and this week. That you evaluate your belief. Has it been an intellectual assent or knowledge that you just affirm and then go on living your life as if it isn't affecting you? I want you to understand that belief is acknowledging that you have no hope in this life and in death. And when we believe, we have all the hope in this life and all the hope in death because we will be raised with or like our Lord Jesus, my Lord and my God. Okay, apart from that, the benefits of this. Um, are foreign and far from you. And so believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be raised from the dead. You will be raised in glory. You will be acquitted of all charges and you will enjoy blessed and perfect in body and soul God for all eternity. And so just quickly, a few words on each one of those. Number one, raised in glory, a.k.a. the defeat of death. I want you to understand something. You and I, we live in a body of death. Its effects are both physical and spiritual. You feel it in your bones and in your soul. Your body of death touches you physically and spiritually. And the scriptures say that the body is dead in Romans 8 because of sin. So not only has sin spread to all men, but sin has spread through the whole man. It decays our bones, and we feel it physically. We feel it. But it not only decays and works against our bones, but it tries to push us and lead us away from our Lord and our God. And you feel it. We're reminded daily of it. Sometimes through that pain, and sometimes when we realize we've disobeyed our Lord and our God. And see, Paul struggles with this in Romans 7, and he ends up asking the question, who will deliver me from this body of death? What's his response? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in Christ. Romans Romans 7 and 8 we see. I'm going to give you. Uh, I'm going to give you 
an excuse, but don't take it the wrong way. Romans 7 and 8 says that it's biblical to moan and groan about our bodies of death. I did not say grumble and complain. I said moan and groan. It's in, it's in, it's in there. Romans 8. Paul says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now I want you I just want to give you a peek of what that body is like. I won't read it verbatim, but here's what uh, Paul says that body is like in 1 Corinthians 15. Well, here's the com- contrast of of um, our body now versus the resurrected body. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown is dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Now think about your body right now. The physical and the spiritual. And understand that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you find yourself hidden in the rock that has been cut. You will receive a resurrected body that is described as imperishable, glory, and power. That is the first benefit of the resurrection in Christ, raised in glory. Second, acquitted of all charges. And we go back and consider what Jesus said in John 5. We read it earlier, verses 21 through 29. We won't read it all again. Um, but there are two groups that come come out in, in this passage in John 5. And it finishes up by saying, Do not marvel at this. He's referring to his proclamation of, of the Son of Man. But he says, Do not marvel at this in verse 28. For an hour is coming... When all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. The tombs are the graves, right? And come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of the judgment. Now, the question is, what separates those two groups? Now, we've, I've already made this point, but I will show you again. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. When when you're justified by faith in Jesus, in this life, in your life, you are counted as righteous before God, seen as innocent in his eyes. But on that final day, here's what's going to happen that's a little bit different. It's not just a thing that's known between you and the Lord. But what happens is, is on that final day, God will declare you as innocent before him, his son, and all who have been raised from the dead. You will stand in this redeemed body as one who is innocent of all charges before God. Now what makes that so awesome and so unbelievable is that more than likely 
And this hopefully runs through our minds in this life. But I would assume that more than likely, when you are declared innocent, when you are acquitted of all charges on that day, you will think about these realities. But all my deeds were but filthy rags. None is righteous, not even me. I didn't follow God, but I was following the course of the world and the prince of the power of the air and the spirit of disobedience. I was, by nature, a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. And here, my name is being declared before all as innocent. And you'll stand there and you'll hear that verdict and you'll think of those things and you'll be reminded that God is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He's loved you. He's abounding in steadfast love. He is a God who forgives the iniquity and the transgression of sin. And then one more thing reminds you because you were a good scripture memorizer and you know that after that statement that God is a God who forgives iniquity and transgressions of sin, you remember that it also says that God is one who will by no means clear the guilty. And so you think, how? How am I here forgiven and declared innocent if God the uh, Yahweh of the Bible does not clear the guilty. And you look and you see and you're reminded there is a lamb standing that had been slain. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. He stands there as one like a lion who is conquered. And that's why in Revelation can't remember the chapter we see that there will be a song that will be sung after the resurrection and the acquittal and it goes like this worthy are you who were slain and by your blood you were ransomed you ransomed people for God and from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That is the song of heaven. That is the song of the new earth. Glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. But finally, so there's death, there's judgment, but also eternity. We find in Christ... Eternity with God. Now consider the length of your life. I don't I don't care how old you are. If you're five, if you're fifty-five, whatever age you are, from your perspective, you've been alive a long time. But then you consider how much more time you have. Even if it's another day or fifty more years. Our lives seem like a long time. Consider eternity. Consider the span of eternity. Now, it's understandable that why someone 
who does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and is found in Him would be fearful of eternity. 2 Thessalonians says, Inflaming fire when the Lord is revealed, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. But for those who are found in Christ, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at, at all who have believed. And so when the day of judgment comes, you have been raised from the dead, and His eternal destruction and punishment goes on to those who did not know Him or obey His gospel, you will be glorified and you will marvel for eternity at Him and who He is. And just how great is eternity with God? Consider the parables of the kingdom of God. How wonderful is eternity with the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. This in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. How valuable is the kingdom of heaven? How valuable is eternity with God? It is worth everything. It is worth more than everything. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great price, of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. How great is eternity with God through Jesus Christ? Consider the calling of following Christ. It's worth losing our lives. Raised into glory, acquitted of all of our sin, and blessed to spend eternity fully enjoying God in both soul and body. This is the benefits we receive from Christ at the resurrection. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, make known within our hearts the value of your presence. Show us, Lord, the value of the the treasures that we seek here on this earth. Father, show us, increase in our hearts and our minds the knowledge of our resurrected Lord. And give us greater knowledge of our union with Him. So that we might know what is the infinite worth and value of being with Him, both body and soul, now and forever. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's stand and sing one more hymn. It is well, number one. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Wonderful, merciful Savior, number 162.